بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد المبارك صلى We are in Surah Al-Qasas, Surah number 28, which translates as the story. This is in the 20th bar, 20th juz. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim. This surah, Surah Al-Qasas, comes after Surah Al-Namal, which was the story of Sulaiman and the ant and how he ruled human beings, how he ruled the jinns, and how he also ruled the insects and birds. And this was seen as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl and his might and his power and Allah's rahmah upon Suleiman and his father. This story is about Musa والسلام, who is the underprivileged. Okay. So Surah Al-Namal is about the privileged and Surah Al-Qasas is about the underprivileged and the disenfranchised. Yeah. And that's how the two stories combine together and they come after one another. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's might and power, his dominion, his kingdom, if it is seen as his fadl, his rahmah, uh, like Sulaiman Islam did, then it brings uh, tremendous mercy and rahmah, and it brings tremendous good and benefit to human beings. If people who are given power do not see this from Allah, and a rahmah from Allah, and more than that, a responsibility, then they will create tremendous turmoil in the world, corruption, facade, and bloodshed, as is the case with Fir'aun. So this story is about Musa alayhi salatu where Musa salam is born in Egypt and he is raised by a tyrant and then he leaves the tyrant, flees from him and comes back as a messenger to the tyrant, delivers his people who are abused by the tyrant and then he goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and receives wahi of a different order, a different kind altogether. Okay. So this is called the story. The other story in the Quran is the story of Yusuf salam. That is known as Ahsanul Qasas, the best of stories. And this is known as the story. Not the best, but just simply the story. Because Musa salam's story is in appearance more wholesome, more holistic, more comprehensive and complete than the story of Yusuf. Where Yusuf Ali story ends 
in the Quran when his parents come into Egypt and he remains uh, very close to the king of Egypt. Musa al-Islam's story goes beyond that. And it's not only that he is no longer in Egypt, but the king of Egypt is destroyed and then he goes on to become a Nabi and a Rasul with the Bani Israel in the desert, in the wilderness. That is how you get the distinction between what is the best story and what is the story. There are more nuances which we don't have time to get into now. But uh, inshallah, as we go along, we'll try and point out a few of the differences between the two, inshallah. The, the first ayah is the letters that appear at the beginning of certain surahs of the Qur'an. They are known as huruf al-muqatta'at, the broken letters, meaning they are not uh, together. Broken meaning separated from each other. So we read them separated. We do not make them into one word. So Taseem Meem is not read as Tasam. You have to read the Ta separately from the scene, separately from the Meme. And you are given 30 rewards for reading three letters, which is what the Prophet said. So the basic understanding we have is that when you break letters, you do not know what they mean. But when you join them, you know what they mean. For instance, if you were to break the letter, letters of the word cat, C-A-N-T, and you just said to somebody C, and A and T, there would be no apparent meaning. You wouldn't know what they meant. But if you were to join them together and said cat, you know what a cat is. Right. So likewise in the Quran you have certain types of revelation that you do not know the meaning of. So nobody knows, at least in our knowledge, what the letter Ta means or the scene, what does it mean and what does meme mean separately. So the inability of human beings to understand the language they speak when they do not construct a word, is the challenge here in the Qur'an. And that even in your language, which you are very competent with, and you believe you are geniuses, but you don't know what the letters mean, independent of themselves. But when you join the letters, you know what the words mean. So what kind of construct is that? Which intellectual process gave you the ability to understand something that is compound, but not something that is simple? And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Nobody knows what the letter A, B, C, D means. Or Alif, Ba, Tata. But if you were to bring them together in a word, you know what the words mean. But you still don't know what the letters mean. So that is uh, an amazing miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mu'ajizah, that he gave to the human mind, that the human mind does not need to know the individual letters, 
But the human mind will know what the letters would mean if they were together, not if they are broken. So that's one. The second is the challenge to Muslims that you will not understand everything about revelation in this world. But you will still have to recite revelation. Has anyone ever proposed that since we don't know what Tawseem means, that we should not have it in the Qur'an? Oh, we don't know what it means. Since we don't know what it means, let's do it with it. No one has proposed this. Why? Because that's an order. That's the order of revelation. It's called submission. It's called Islam. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's word and work. So we read, regardless of whether we understand or not, that reading is called tilawa. That reading is called what? Tilawa. Tilawa is an act of ibadah. It's not an intellectual exercise. As in the previous surah right to the end. Look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the previous surah. Ayah number 92. I have been instructed to make tilawa of the Qur'an. وَأَنْ أَتْلُوَ الْقُرْآنِ I have been instructed to make what? Tilaw the Qur'an independent of my understanding it. So the modern day Muslim must not be high and mighty and say, oh, I don't understand, I'm not going to read it. That is high and mighty. We don't say that. We say regardless of whether we understand or not, we will recite it because we recite for the sake of ibadah. Not for the sake of understanding. When we read the translation and the commentary, that's when we start to understand. So understanding is an independent exercise. Reciting is an independent exercise. The two do not mix. So in our salat, we don't understand everything we say. Should we? Maybe. Do we have to? No. That's ibadah. You don't understand everything. Do you understand everything in Salat? No. Why do you have one ruku and two sajdas? I don't know. I just did. Well, shall I just sit there and think about it for 50 years before I do it? No. You do it regardless. Now we're sitting here trying to understand the Quran in English. This is an exercise. It would be futile for me to say we shouldn't understand the Quran. Why are we here? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... That sometimes the human mind needs to submit to Allah. I don't know anything, you know everything. So at the beginning of certain surahs, Allah revealed these letters that the ulama and the Prophet called the broken letters to tell human beings that you will never know the meanings of these letters even though you use the same letters to construct the words whose meanings you do know. That is Allah's might, Allah's power. So Allah's might and power comes from beyond the heavens and the earth. And that is a sign of his kingdom, of his dominion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has complete dominion over the minds and intellect of all human beings. That human beings to this day have not been able to fathom the independent meanings of the letters in their own languages. But yet, they speak their language, and they understand the words. Right. Who gave them this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So that is his power and his might over the idea of expression. Ar-Rahman allama al-Quran khalaq al-insan allamahu al-bayan. Allah created man and gave him bayan, taught him expression. So this ability to express came with Adam. It is instinctive in Adam. It was not something that human beings acquired over time in the dunya. It was revealed. <coughs> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us all this ability to express through words. But then we started to break down the words into letters. And then we did not know what the letters mean. But yet we still know what the words mean. And that is a sign of Allah's might and power. Hence the next ayah is what? Tilka ayatul kitab al These are the signs and the verses of the very clear open book which these letters, these letters that you have just recited and you don't know the meanings of and especially in Arabic where the poets thought that they were the best in expression and that all poets of the Arabic language you do not know what these letters mean, but you still have to recite them because they are part of Revelation and they are part of the Qur'an. And this is a very clear open book, an open book and clear in the sense that it has overpowered you and your ability to think and conceive because you could not have conceived of these letters yourselves. Who conceived of the letter A and B and C and D? The first person. Who was that first person? Well, we don't know. I mean, modern day science. Well, we don't know. Maybe it's evolution. But they say that the human being's ability to speak and express is not something that evolves. It's not subject to evolution. That's what some people say. The Quran says it came with Adam. Allah bayan. Allah taught insan bayan expression. So who gave him this ability to conceive the letter A, B, C, Alibata, and all the other 80 odd languages that Adam spoke? Muslims believe Adam spoke over 80 languages. Instinctively. Yeah. Uh, let's measure this scientifically. Yeah, you can't measure that scientifically. Forget about it. Never mind those languages, just look at the English language, Alpha, A is for Alpha. Do you know what that means? They may be symbolic, but it's a symbol. <coughs> so now, when you are composing music, you use notes. Why this note and not that note? That's a subjective skill. Right? It's not objective. C minor and D major. What are these notes? Or is it in the mind of the musician? But how do the musician conceive of these notes and this language that's called now music? Now, you need to be a musician in the language. Okay. Likewise, in math, you have symbols that are related to values, as you know, in algebra, and new equations, and whatever you know about math. Okay. So as here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, is that this ability in you to conceive of abstract ideas without having a prototype in front of you is from Allah. You weren't intelligent enough to do all that. Allah taught Adam bayan expression as a gift to him from him. You don't have that ability. 
So you must not be holier than thou. And assume that you are going to control all human beings because you can't even control your own language. The words that you use to control other human beings are dependent upon letters that you did not conceive. Those letters came from beyond the heavens. That is Allah's fadl on all human beings. So these are ayat, ayat al-kitab al-mubin. These are the signs of this very open, clear, evident, self-evident book and revelation. نَتْلُوا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ نَبْئِ مُوسَى وَفِرْعَوْنَ بِالْحَقِّ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ Here Allah subhanahu wa says that we are going to recite to you, we are reciting to you, we are making tilawat to you of news about Musa. A story about Musa and Fir'aun which will be with the truth. Meaning everything we recite to you is the truth. لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ For those who believe. So, uh, there is something called Naqussu. We narrate, okay, and we tell a story. And here we say, Natlu, we are reciting to you. There's a difference. Okay? Where the word Qissa is that you join one part of a story chronologically to another part of the story. Right, so. This man was born, then he was raised here, then he went there, then he died there. That is Qissa. One link after another, and usually it is chronological. Here is Natlu. Natlu means to recite. Recitation does not follow any chronological order. Recitation doesn't follow any chronology. There may be a logical order which may come to you after contemplation and after meditation and reflection. But it won't come to you instinctively. You have to think about it. That's an intellectual process. Okay? That's an academic process. So, Natlu here means, O oh, Muhammad, we have ordered you previously in the previous surah to recite the Quran. And here we're going to show you how the Quran is recited. Recitation means what? That we are going to show you how you, we are going, how you should recite the Qur'an, not in a chronological order, because the purpose of revelation is not chronology. This is not a book of history. Right? We don't write history in the Qur'an. The Qur'an is not a book of history. The Qur'an is a book of revelation, where it is guidance. We must guide you through the accounts of the story of Musa, but it will always be bilhaq, with the truth. Stories lie and storytellers lie. Historians lie and history lies. Revelation doesn't lie. Revelation is always with the truth, bilhaq. But for whom? Liqawmi yu'minun, for those who believe, meaning if you have iman, so what is the gauge and the yardstick by which you will measure this story? With the gauge of Iman. With faith. Not with the gauge of objective criticism. Okay. Now how are you going to value the story? It doesn't make any logical sense or chronological sense. Or the historians say this is too early for this period and this is too early or late for that period. And, you know, they didn't have this in that culture and they didn't have that in that civilization. There's no evidence to this fact. 
and so on. So we say, no, no, we're not interested in that. This is Iman. This total belief and faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as He has created us and our abilities to conceive, perceive, to express, and even the language with which we use, which we, which we use to express that came from Him. This subjective submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is how we're going to read this story. No? Otherwise you won't be able to conceive of the story. Who would conceive of a story where somebody wanted to assassinate and kill a little boy, even before he's born, and then raise the boy himself? You see the irony? Right. Who in, in, in which prison cell would conceive? Let me conceive a story that no one else is going to be able to conceive of. So what's the conception? I'm going to kill a boy. But when I find the boy, I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to raise him. How do you judge this? I mean, does it, does it make any kind of sense? In any kind of uh, perverted logic, you can make sense of this story? No. Iman is what makes sense of the story. How do we know the story is truthful? Allah says, right? now the fact that it's in the Bible, the fact that uh, Christians, Jews and Muslims all agree to it, that's secondary. That's not primary. Oh, we believe it because of Christians, then you're not a Muslim. You're believing because they believe. Then your Iman is subject to theirs. That is kufr. You can't do that. Why do we believe? Because Allah says, we have revealed this to you, and we are reciting this story to you. So we do not evaluate the Qur'an and the Sunnah in terms of what we call objectivity. Critical evaluation does not occur with revelation. Revelation is not subject to our critical evaluation. Revelation is subject to our submission, and vice versa. Otherwise, the story would be impossible for anyone to conceive, never mind believe. We would not believe this story had we not been, what? Trained to believe in it. From day one. From the time our mothers told us, as you will see, the nuances of the story, as a difference from the best story. The best story appeals to the psyche, to the imagination, is romantic. Yusuf al-Islam's story is magnificent, it's beautiful. Why? Because one thing leads to another, and then one tragedy leads to success, and then the success leads to another tragedy, and there's plots, and there's schemes, and there's everything. But this is the story. This is not just life. Believe life the way it happens and occurs. إِنَّ فِرْعَوْنَ عَلَىٰ فِي الْأَرْضُ وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيعًا وَيَسْتَعِفُ طَائِفَةً مِّنْهُمْ يَذَبِّهُ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَيَسْتَحِي نِسَاهُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُسْلِينَ Indeed, what do we know about Fir'aun? Allah subhanahu wa tells us that what you need to know about Fir'aun is the following. Not how many thousands of soldiers he had, how many platoons he had, how many pyramids he built, and what was his civilization and his culture. What you need to know about Fir'aun is one thing. That indeed, Fir'aun... He exalted himself on the earth and he thought that he was the greatest. He came and rise above the earth in such a way that he thought he was God. 
That's Firaun. And then, as he assumed that he was God and he was the greatest, he thought and deemed everybody else to be insignificant and to be his subordinate. So he then rendered and made factions out of the people okay, whom he controlled and whom he ruled. He made them into caste systems. He made them into tribes and different groups. So he categorized them according to how he thought would be the best way to rule them. The idea of divide and rule obviously is not uh, something that is new in human history. Firaun, as a human being, knew and understood that the only way to divide, to rule these people, was to divide them. And the best way to divide them is to disunite them by saying that you belong to a lower group and class of people and human beings, otherwise known as caste, or you belong to this one, according to either your birth or your tribe or your profession. Shia means that you divide people according to something that is not divisible. That's what the word Shia means in the Quran. Shia. You can't divide something that is not divisible. All human beings came from Adam. You can't divide that. It's impossible. You're all human, therefore, no human is going to be by default superior over another human because that's not divisible. Can you divide them according to taqwa? Yes, because that's a variable. Someone who's pious may be divided and separated from someone who's not so pious. Okay? But there's no such thing as dividing human beings according to birth. That's not divisible. The Quran does not allow that. This is what Firaun did. So you cannot say that certain people are lower caste and other people are higher caste. That is shirk. And that is haram in Islam. Shirk in the sense that you are associating something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want you to associate with. Not shirk in the theological sense, in the sense of aqeedah. But anyway, people who rule, that's what they do. They will divide. Okay. And once you divide, then it is much easier to rule. يَسْتَضْعِفُ طَائِفَةً مِّنْهُمْ He deemed some of, them, some of them to be weak. Fir'aun deemed a group of people, meaning the Banu Israel, the Hebrews who came in from Yusuf salam. So this is where the story of Yusuf ties in with the story of Musa. So Yusuf came... And they were otherwise known as what we call today foreigners. <laughs> right? They weren't Egyptians by birth. They came in from Canaan and they settled in Egypt and they were given good positions and posts and they enjoyed life for a very long time, mashallah, until xenophobia came in. And then the people who came before Firaun said, these are foreigners, they don't belong to our land and we should relegate them to a lower class citizen. Citizens. And then Firaun went further and said, they're not, they're not just lower-class citizens, they're of a lower caste. They're just different people. Right. So the, the glory of Yusuf now turned into the fury of Firaun. That's how the story now turns on its head. Yes, he deemed them to be weak. 
and insignificant group of them. Who are they? The Banu Israel, the people who came with Yusuf Salam, the children of Yaqub, of Jacob, and the Firans, and that you don't belong in this country. In fact, you don't even deserve to live, period. So he enslaved them. Okay? He enslaved them. And what did he do then? He had no problems killing their sons. And he had no problems of sparing their women. Okay. After the vision and the dream that we all hear about, that the Fir'aun saw a dream in which the dream was interpreted uh, to mean that someone from the Banu Israel will come and overthrow him. So Fir'aun said the only way to uh, make sure that doesn't happen is to kill all of them. <coughs> right. Execute all the young boys and leave the girls. So, if there are no boys in the Banu Israel, the girls will belong to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians can do whatever they want with the women. And then you will have no Hebrew left in the country, and I will still be king. And that is what he thought. But he had no problems and qualms about doing that. He was just totally ruthless, a tyrant, and an oppressor. So he executed babies. Indeed, he was amongst those who were corrupt and caused commotion and chaos in the land. This is the story of Fir'aun. Then Allah Subh'ala says that we had a divine plan and a divine order. So this was the order on land, which is known as the terrestrial order where human beings control that order in a very limited way, in a limited sense. There's another order, which is called the divine order, and human beings do not control that, and there's no way to access that order except through wahi, except through revelation. So Fir'aun had a plan, and Allah had a plan. So Allah subhanahu wa tells us about his plan, which, is ma- which makes this story the story. Whereas the plan in Yusuf al-Islam's story is not explicitly mentioned, it is subtle, it is in the dream. You have to figure out the unraveling of the dream there. So there's a bit more allegoric there. Here it is very straightforward. Yeah. And we intended that we should favor those who have been deemed weak or oppressed on land and we intended that they should become leaders on earth and uh, we wanted to make them into those who inherit the earth also. So Allah subhanahu is saying that for those who were disenfranchised and those who were underprivileged and those who were oppressed, Allah subhanahu order is that they will be given now kingdom and dominion and power and authority at one point of time in history. That is the divine order. And this happened for the Banu Israel, albeit in a very difficult circumstance and situation where it took longer than what the Banu Israel had anticipated later on in their lives after they escaped and they fleed from Egypt. But nevertheless, it was still Allah's plan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to turn the tables on Fir'aun and show Fir'aun that he is not God and show Fir'aun and his people that those whom you despise will rule you one day. That's the divine order. Now, for the Muslim, uh, he has to now look at both ayahs. The ayah which tells that Fir'aun 
was controlling the world around him and the ayah that says Allah will not allow oppressors to succeed which is the second ayah right now in the context of the political order of the time today okay, you draw the bridge between the two eyes and see where we fit and where we belong so not everybody who is disenfranchised and underprivileged are going to be doomed necessarily on this planet because there is another order which supervises the order of human beings on the planet so there is hope in that sense how do we bring that order down? That's a different issue. The problem Muslims have today is that they want to facilitate the bringing down of the divine order through violence, which is not allowed. That's the problem. We're not allowed to do that. We can only make dua and be patient and so on. We can have self-restraint and we can resist, no doubt, and there's something called self-defense, which is fine too. But to actually promote the idea that this is God's order and because it is God's order we will do this by force that's known as colonizing we don't do that because that's what they said this is God's order we should colonize everybody because everybody else they're not civilized enough to be rulers so we don't do that (laughs) you understand? because they read the same passage as we do this is written in their books too, that the meek shall inherit, inherit the earth. It's the same idea. Not the same idea, because this is a revelation, whereas that's, that is not. But the idea is that the meek shall inherit the earth. Have you seen this? And, uh, sometimes on the back of cars, the stickers. <laughs> right. Feeling sorry for yourself and so on. We need power. Well, Pharaoh had power. What did he do with it? Is it just power that you're seeking, or is this, are you seeking divine providence and divine follow and grace and mercy? If you're seeking power, then that is not Islamic. You can't do that. If you're seeking God's providence, then it will come when Allah gives it to you. You can't seek it through violence and force. So that's the difference between the application of this, uh, these two ayahs and the understanding of these two ayahs during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was given this story in Mecca. This surah is revealed where? In Mecca, not Medina. So even though Allah, he knows Allah is saying that the meek of the Muhajir Sahabi in Mecca, they have been persecuted and oppressed. The Sahaba didn't go and say, look, this is what God wants, so this is what we're going to do. They didn't do that. Right? They waited until they went to Medina and they were able to do something effectively without causing unnecessary harm and bloodshed. So there, this, in this story, there is ample evidence and advice for those in the world who want to seek glory and power through violence. We don't do that. Okay. This is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala playing out his order. وَنُمَكِّنَ لَهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضُ وَنُرِيَ فِرْعَوْنُ وَحَامَانُ وَجْنُودَهُمَا مِنْهُمْ مَا كَانُ يَحْذَرُونَ And we wanted and we intended to establish them and consolidate them on earth, meaning the Banu Israel, eventually. This didn't happen in Egypt. The kingdom of the Banu Israel did not happen where? In Egypt. They had to go to the Promised Land in Jerusalem and they had to wait centuries for it. Right? 
it wasn't immediately, it was instantaneous. So you have to understand also that historical context in which we are discussing this. So that sometimes things don't happen the way we plan them to happen in our lifetimes. And we wanted to show, more than that, we wanted to show Fir'aun and Haman, who was his uh, right-hand man, his prime minister. So Haman, as a prime minister, was just as ruthless as Fir'aun the king. And Haman was a great builder. He was a great engineer. In the um, etymology of the word Haman, from the Egyptian language, scholars have said, that the word Haman in their language meant a very good engineer. Right? It's something that scholars have researched, and they said the word in the Quran Haman fits the profile of a great builder. And what do they build? They build everything. Right? This is how we see the brilliance of the Quran also. And also their forces and their, what do you call them, their, their, their hosts, their forces, their armies. Minhum, from amongst those, from them, what they were fearing. So they feared the worst, which was that the people they oppressed will now start to do what they did to them. That's what they feared, and this is what happened. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused this to happen, and the Banu Israel were the reason for the destruction of Fir'aun and Haman and everybody else that followed them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them inheritors of the earth as we see in the previous ayah. We wanted to make them inheritors of the earth. So here in this story we see a very apt example of what's happening in the Muslim world today. That the Muslims feel that they have been deprived of all freedoms and every ability to practice Islam. And as a result, they want to make sure that the people who are responsible for that lack of freedom are punished. And they should be dealt with very violently and forcefully on earth today. As you read the story, as the story unfolds, you will see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he wants something done, it is not done through destructive means. It's done through very constructive means and an order that is pleasant to listen to. Not through an order that is vicious and very depressing okay, to listen to. That is not how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala operates. So Allah's intent is from above the heavens and it comes down to earth through the process of revelation, through a Nabi. Through a Nabi. It has to come down through a Nabi. Okay. If the Nabi is physically present amongst us, then fine. If the Nabi is not physically present amongst us, then it is the Sunnah of the Nabi. Okay. So the Muslims now need to follow revelation, not just by understanding the Qur'an, but by understanding the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad that is there evidence in the Sunnah that the Prophet did this, that he received this order in Mecca that they will inherit, and all of a sudden, uh, within three months or six months, uh, they captured the whole of Arabia. No, they waited 10 years, 12 years, 13 years before that happened. And even then, they didn't kill everybody on the way. 
if you do the stats on how many Muslims were killed in all the battles the Prophet ﷺ fought, and how many non-Muslims were killed in all the battles the Prophet ﷺ fought, less than 200. In 10 years, so where's the violence? There's no violence. Is that? Yeah. Now within one minute, how many people are killed today in wars? One bomb kills how many? Thousands of human beings. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Divine revelation is not something that you want to equate with human in human fallibilities. Human inconsistencies do not measure up to divine revelation. That is why لِقَوْمِ يُؤْمِنُونَ the ayah for those who have Iman is very, very significant. That when you look at this story with the eye of Iman, you will see that if you don't have Iman, you will cause havoc and commotion and chaos and fitna and bloodshed which is not endorsed by revelation. Allah subhanahu did not create human beings so that they can kill each other. Right? Yes, there is something called self-defense, that you want to defend each other from killing each other. That's a different issue. Defense is good. But the intent of God is not that uh, Allah is going to destroy everybody simply because they're human beings. That doesn't work in our construct. So what we must do as we're reading the story, Al-Qasas, in, in the Quran, is to understand the application of the divine order in the human system. The human system is now uh, fraught with frailties, inconsistencies, and also a lot of sin and evil, whereas the divine order is not. The divine order is infallible. And we must appreciate this as we speak about the crisis in our day. Inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to understand the Quran and Sunnah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the tawfiq to follow the Quran and Sunnah in such a way that He is pleased with us. And we meet Him in the, in the state that He is pleased with us and we are pleased with Him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen.